of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. With me always is Jason. What's going on, man? You know, I, I have gotten over the defeat of my Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl. They were so close and like the two times before losing the last couple minutes of the game. But they are an offensive line away from being like if they had an average offensive line, they would have kicked their ass. No, I oh absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. 100%. Yeah. They held them on defense. They played yeah. well. They played tough, but an average offensive line where you get a couple seconds, they would have crushed them. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm Cincinnati. I was hopeful that they'd win, and I'm used to the disappointment of a loss. Mm-hmm. We'll get them next year. Right. And thank you for cheering and being a fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And send me condolences, too. That was nice. <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of condolence messages. <laughs> Maybe I could get some condolence for the weather. Do you, so in, in Columbus, do you guys like use like still use numbers to the measure the weather? You guys still what do you use, mean? Like, it's, like it's this many degrees out. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, you get to about the middle of February. There's like three things here. It's like it's cold out, cold. and then it's it's fucking cold, <laughs> and then it's just fuck. <laughs> and you're sending that crap to me. So That's today. Ohio. That's today. We, we've had 50s, like yesterday, I think it was 60, 50s. I was actually in Kentucky for a couple oh, yeah. of work, and it was almost 70 degrees okay. where I was. But now it's it's been raining, flooding, it's getting colder, and we're going to have a couple cold days. But we had okay. a, a little touch of spring. It was nice. My wife's out of town, and she's just like four hours west of here, and it's like almost 40 degrees where she's at. It's like, what is she doing? Visiting family? Uh, yeah, it's a family thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's like closer to the Badlands, right? So about four hours west. So uh, what do we got shows coming up this weekend? Show alerts. I just secured tickets to well, one of our bands, our friends Nick Nick Reese from Joyous Wolf. He's playing with Dorothy. Um, so I just they're coming to Columbus April twenty fourth. I got tickets. I'm ready to go. I I've got in contact with Nick and. Uh, We'll see if we can't say hi to him, get or record a little something with him. So I'm excited by that. Two good artists, two good bands. Um, that's the newest thing I know. I'm still waiting for some more cold stairs states to come out. Uh, 
we've got the Dead Deads are opening up for the Darkness on a tour that starts in March. Okay. And they've got a date in early April in Detroit, which is closest to me, which I'm going to try to see if I can't get up to go. Have not gotten tickets yet. So we're starting, you know, we're starting to see more and more tours and things get announced, at least in the U.S. I've seen a lot of the people pull back some European stuff right now, but we're starting to really mm -hmm. see some some pretty good shows uh, get announced in the area. Like, what, what have you seen? Uh, well, I, I'm just looking forward to the Bisty Meyer show on March yep. 10th. I did see something about, like, the the, the big Motley Crue stadium tour thing that's mm -hmm. going to happen in the summer. Yep, I saw that. They, they rescheduled some dates, and they're actually going to do it, which I'm I'm to be honest, a little bit surprised about like they, you know, um, uh, I love Motley Crue, but Vince Neal's been rough for a couple yeah. of years. I didn't yeah. know if he was going to be fit enough to do that, but it sounds like they think he is, so they're gonna they're gonna move forward. Yeah, yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, it's easy to say is you know just regular people, but you think yeah, you know, that dude's got enough money to have a personal trainer. And he does you know, too. You can't make the changes until you're ready, I guess. No, right. And listen, there's no shame in losing your fastball, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you can't listen, David Lee Roth, like it happens, you get older, or you're not able to quite do the same things. And I use that, you know, sports euphemism, losing your fastball. Mm -hmm. It just, it shit happens. So, you know, there's not a lot of Paul McCartney's or Steven Tyler or Sammy Hagar oh, no. that, that can, you know, and, you know, not quite as like, Old as that, but like Gary or Gary Sharon from Extremes, one who still got it. Jeff Keith from Tesla still got can it. Still sing, but Robert yeah, can't the lower the range. Same high notes that he used to. No shame in that. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But he hasn't lost his fastball either. Right, right, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, you mentioned the cold stairs earlier, and they're you know uh, you know one of our you know especially for you and me too uh, getting there. But like your go-to band, like that band that you really feel wow, man, there's a bond here. Like you, you promote them and all that a lot. And then mine is Mojo Thunder. And now our guests coming up uh, really feel like just uh, like a bond with their music and with them personally, whatever. But we're talking about Fortune Child. Fortune Child, next week, we're going to have the, those guys on the podcast. We've actually already recorded it. So uh, that's not who we have today. We have another no. great up and coming artist. But yeah, Fortune Child, super cool band, man. A good bunch of young, uh, young professional rockers who have the right perspective and the right sound. I got a week ahead of myself there, didn't I? <laughs> I but I saved you. Did you see how I did yep, that? Yep. Did you see how? That's just because we just recorded with Fortune Child. And now <laughs> we're we're doing our intro to our guest this week, and it's somebody, Brian, that we you know when we were in Nashville for for Rock and Pod. Um, this person, we'd, we'd ask some of our guests like, Hey, who else would you recommend? And two different people came up with this artist name. One, our buddy, Jack's hollow said this, and then Shelby from Shelby and the Cobras also mm -hmm. recommended, uh, Leilani Kilgore, who is a, a, female artist. She plays rock guitar, blues guitar, sings up and comer. She's got some of her solo stuff out and, uh, you know, Jackson and Shelby were both right. Like she, she's awesome. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, as always, enjoyed talking to her. Uh, we're about a week or so removed from that, so I'm trying to <laughs> trying to recall the salient points. But uh, um, definitely a great conversation, and you know, she's got a, a lot going on. And you know, she uh, well, you guys will find out. We'll talk about it after the afterwards. So uh, you guys kick back and relax, and uh, listen to our conversation with Leilani Kilgore. 
We're here at the guest segment of the podcast. I always throw this over to Jason to tell you guys who our guest is today. And we are excited to have this guest on today, Brian. You know, this is somebody's name we heard quite a bit when we were in Nashville for the Rock and Pod Expo. And quite a few people in the Nashville scene said, you need to talk to this blues rock driven guitar player performer. And we are very, very happy to track down and have on today Leilani Kilgore. How are you doing, Leilani? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing? We're doing good. How's everything in Nashville? It's great. It's actually like a an, like an agreeable temperature, so can't complain. The bachelor nice. parties haven't swarmed the streets yet. So <laughs> That's still... the worst part of Nashville. Who decided <laughs> the bachelor and the bachelor party should be in Nashville? Where, where did that come from? I don't know, but the fact that it's now like coined Nash Vegas for marketing purposes is deeply concerning to me. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's all over. Pretty soon there's going to be slot machines up and down the street <laughs> on Broadway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they're going to, you know, they're all be country themes. So you do a lot uh, and we'll get to Brian's first question. He always asks, but you're a performer on the Nashville. Does this, does this, how does this affect you with all these bachelorette and bachelor parties that now show up? Well, I mean, so what I call my day job is I do Broadway shows downtown regularly. That's my, yeah. my, my steady income. And, um, honestly when they're in town as long as they're you know they're polite and they're 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 uh not abusive audience members it's great because they're usually high energy you know they they tip um so i got no problem with them being in town it's just the traffic that i have an issue with um but since there's nobody you know bringing bachelor bachelor parties downtown right now it's it's pretty quiet so we're in the the slow season so to speak but that affects your tips it 100 percent does yeah so that kind of so. sucks it kind of sucks, yeah, but you know, it's, um, you know, you live and you learn. It's a good Do way they to tip better when they're like, hey, play this song and you just go ahead and play it. Yeah, we usually try to get the money in the bucket first, though. Ooh, that's usually so... that's how we do things. <laughs> if you pay, then we'll play. 100%. That's the Broadway way. Mm -hmm. Very nice. All right. Well, we'll get away from bachelor, bachelorette parties and get more in your career and your performances. And we'll, we'll throw it over to Brian with this, his intro question. Well, well, before the intro question, I was trying to figure out like, or when I was, when we were there in the summer in August, like I got to spend the, uh, you know, part of a big afternoon downtown and went to RCA studio B and went to uh, the Ryman, oh, yeah. but I saw these like mobile bar bicycle mobile. Is that what you're talking about? These bachelorette bachelor parties? Oof, I mean, they do it for sure. I think the <laughs> wildest one I've seen is uh, they have one that's a fire truck now and they have the rolling hot tub and they have oh, the uh, the tractor. So it's it's really, yeah, it's almost like a parade, honestly. It's like a, it's like a nightly parade. It's like a Southern Mardi Gras. The Southern Mardi Gras with a little circus flair to it. Mm-hmm. So we're just, exactly. we're just wondering, uh, did you grow up in a musical family? How did you get your music start and what eventually led to you playing in bands and uh, being the front person of your own band? Um, my parents are not musicians. Uh, I'm a, I am adopted and apparently my, my biological dad did play guitar a little bit, but I think he's like a science teacher now or something. So he never did it professionally. Um, but my dad is a, an artist, so he just had a you know, really deep appreciation for music. And as an only child, I think I got like a little competitive with the subject matter. I was like, man, he's really talking about Jimi Hendrix a lot. Like maybe I should do this. And then I saw, I think it was the Rolling Stones at Madison Square Garden. 
and Keith Richards is like the coolest person to ever grace the face of the earth. So I was like, that's that's what I want to do. That looks amazing. What tour um, was that? Oh gosh, what would that have been? I don't know. I, I wish I could tell you. Uh, it was a DVD, like a four DVD set of them at Madison Square Garden. It was probably like early 2000s. Oh, you, you're um, talking about the DVD or you were at the show or? Oh no, I wasn't at the show. Oh, okay. Like a DVD box set. That sure. My dad got okay. my father's there or something, but it was it was so cool, you know, to see right. somebody at Madison Square Garden, especially someone like Keith Richards, just looking cool as can be on stage. Mm -hmm. Man, that that's fantastic. So, I think the first CD I ever bought with my own money was American Idiot by Green Day, and that really got me into like just like aggressive guitar playing. So, between like the blues thing from my dad, who was also like a huge Stevie Ray Vaughan fan, and he'd make me listen to you know SRB and BB King and you know the Eagles and all that. And then having like an, an affinity for, for punk at an early age, I was like, man, like playing guitar just seems like the way to go. Mm -hmm. So naturally I started with classical because that's, that definitely sure. ties into both of those things. But by the time I was 13, I got an electric guitar and I was like, yeah, loud, aggressive, angsty stuff is like my thing. And yeah. And then I had no friends in high school. So I just kept rolling with it. It was a great way to spend no my afternoon. No friends in high school. Come on. I was a practicer. Yeah. I had no friends in high school. I would go home and practice. And that was like, it was like eight hours a day you know, on the weekends and as much as I could during the afternoons after school. And here we are, but it's like, I don't, I can't do anything else because it's, I'm not very good expressing myself verbally sometimes. So having an outlet, like, you know, playing guitar to help emote things that I maybe don't know how to express otherwise is a huge cathartic experience for me. So I, I kind of need it at a, at a, at a psyche level. When, when did you know, like, you know, you're going to front your own band? I've been fronting my own band for ages and ages and ages. I put my first band together when I was, I think a freshman in high school. And I was like, okay, I, I, I like dragged some friends into it and even like bought a bass to loan to my friend. And it was like, I just, it was just something I just wanted to try. And I just became obsessed with it. Cause I've always been a fan of, you know, front people like David Bowie and, and just, you know, every time I would hear a band, I just always was fascinated by the performances put on by the front person you know that's where your focus goes and it seemed like the most work and I was like that's that's cool like that's what I want to do mm -hmm. I want to be somebody who has a team with them that helps them express whatever it is that's going on inside their head in a way that relates to you know the general population I just thought it was the coolest thing where'd you where did you grow up so I grew up mostly in Washington state um okay. and then I was born in California so we moved back there when I was 13. But um, between like the Washington state, you know, just general, just, I don't know, moody atmosphere and then moving to California. Post-grunge movement. 100%. I mean, even the weather is post-grunge, you know what I mean? So it's just like, that's yeah. you're, when you're canoeing to school in December, it's like you're nothing but angsty. Um, canoeing to school in December. Oh yeah. The, with the rain and everything, it was like nonstop. It's like, you know, 70, what rains like 70% of the year. So you're just constantly packing like emergency life rafts into your school bag. Yeah. So well, what I never understood about you guys in Pacific Northwest and I've, I've traveled a lot out there and do stuff for work is why uh -huh. do you guys drink iced coffee in the winter time? Like, why is that a freaking thing? I think it's a masochism thing. You know, if you're living there in the first place, you might as well double down with it. You know Dude, what I mean? It is so cold, like damp cold that gets in your bones. I'm like, how can you guys be drinking cold coffee? I just want to pour just... hot coffee on my body. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just bathe in hot coffee. I don't know. That's a really good question. I think we genuinely, like, we genuinely just like the misery of it all. So whatever we can do to help, you know, help compound that by all means. Ice coffee yeah, whatever you can do to not feel good, just keep doing it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs>
<laughs> well, that's where bands like Nirvana and Death Cab for Cutie come from. So, you know, it makes sense. It, it does make sense. It does make sense indeed. And then you, you moved back down to California later on, you said? Yeah, the worst age too. I was 13 and I was such a little pain in the ass. I was a nightmare of a teenager. And so, you know, moving away from my best friends and everything, it was like, because I, I wasn't great at making friends anyway. So the friends I had were very important to me. And then moving out of nowhere and going into middle school, it was like, I was not a happy kid. So that was just all the more reason to just, you know, learn how to aggressively play power chords and get into the white stripes and, you know, whatever. So, we're so in California. Yeah. Um, Temecula. My parents actually still live out there. My mom's yeah, a, by Sacramento. Oh, no, I'm yeah. sorry, but south. It's San, okay. San Diego area. Sorry. It's a little north of San Diego. Yeah, yeah, both, yeah. both my parents are teachers, so they both moved down there to, to teach. Actually, my mom taught my high school. I've been out there so. a few times. I've, we've got a, well, my company has a facility out there, and I've been out there. It's very, it's beautiful. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. it's not Riverside bad. County, yeah. Riverside County, California. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Either you know it or you don't. Yeah. Uh, was there's, there, there's worse places, Brian, to be. There's worse yeah, places. Yeah, for sure. Was there, <laughs> there are a, worse places. Was there a scene there at all? Or there was a weirdly enough, there was a little bit of a blues scene, just a little bit. And um, so that's where I that's where I first started playing like like learning how to improvise, you know, because classical, it's it's the exact opposite. It's very mm -hmm. clear cut. There's there's no such thing as improvising in classical, really. So um, I had a teacher who was like, maybe you should try checking out this Albert King record and playing along to it and figuring it out. And then my dad dragged me to some, some little smoky dive bar, which is perfect, you know, with a bunch of like old guys who've been doing it for decades. And I got thrown up on stage and I sounded atrocious, but I kept going back for, I don't know, a couple of years and got better and better. So, but I just got like hooked on that adrenaline rush of being in a position where you're like, you don't have no idea what you're doing at that, at that particular stage in your career. And just having to be on the spot and just make the most out of 12 bars or 24 bars. I was like, that's, that's awesome. Like that's, that's the, the drive that I'm looking for. So I just got hooked on that and then just built it from there. Right on. So a when, little bit of a scene, long, long winded answer for yes. When do you, you know, go out to Nashville? Um, I went out to Nashville my senior year of high school to audition for Belmont and I was only here for like two days but I ended up in that two days buying like a 1988 gold top Les Paul of P90s oh. blowing all of the money I'd oh. saved from gigs and going to BB King's Blues Club and those two experiences for me were like I have to be here so I ended up going to Berkeley for two years because I got a better scholarship offer you know tuition is very expensive so Went there for two years. By the end of the second year, I was like, I just want to come back to Nashville. Like Boston's great. Boston's a cool mm -hmm. experience. Berkeley's a cool experience. But I, I was just like, I just want to be in a place where, I mean, coming down here for the first time and seeing the Broadway thing, it was like seeing so many people just playing music and having so many people around you enjoying it. I was like, that's, that's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's like the Mecca. So I immediately moved back down here. Right well, we, we've talked to a couple of people who've gone to Berkeley, including your buddy Jax, but I want to talk about this gold top Les Paul with P90s. Where did you buy <laughs> Here we it? Go. <laughs> Carter's. I bought yeah. it at Carter's. Yeah. And they served my mom and dad moonshine, which I thought was the most, like the coolest, like hippest. <laughs> nice. Is that how you can you buy them guitar? to let you buy that? Guitars. Like, hey, give mom and dad moonshine. <laughs> they'll get a little and they'll agree to whatever I want. I think it was the owner's way of, of, of helping them not feel like <laughs> remorse for their, their daughter's college funds suddenly getting blown on a guitar <laughs> do you still have that guitar i do have it i don't think i could ever get rid of it it's just I, it was my go-to for the longest time it's a beast and it's um it's called doc holiday and it is Ooh. uh i don't think i can get rid of it you know 
it's just it's a hard thing to it has like a little like maple insert in yeah. the uh, in the cutaway so it's just like that's like ah it's got a 60s neck i just i love it i can't have I you can't posted of pictures of that on instagram at any time yeah it would be way 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 down there but yeah it's on let's refresh somewhere. that so i can see it <laughs> <laughs> i'll post one i'll post one next week just for you i'll be like by the way jason this is Thank you. I, I, love, I like guitars. Like, what is it about P90s and Gibsons? Like, you can see over my shoulder here, I've got a, a Les Paul special. It's a, it's a reissue of the 59 with the P90s in it. it yeah. It just, they sound so good in a Gibson. They really do. And I was running it through a Marshall for a while, and I was, it was just this unstoppable tone that I was just in love with. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is about the P90s, but they just... It's versatile as hell, right? Because you can get that, yeah. that rock and growl, that punk growl, or you can get it nice and warm with the neck. Like, it's... I don't know. I love humbuckers, but, man, P90s and the Gibson, man. I just... It's... I don't know if it's anything better. Yeah, it's it's really hard to beat, you know, especially with, like, the you know, like a TS-808 or a TS-9 running it through the P90s and cranking the amp. It's, like, it's just so fierce. Yeah. Brian, you're on to ask a question because I'm thinking about talk guitars. You usually don't have a pause like that. <laughs> I got distracted. No, I, I like when you're talking about Nashville because I was only there like in that downtown area for one day, but I just like fell in love with it. It's like, yeah, this has got to be a place to keep coming back to to visit quite it's often. It's a little addicting. It is, yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. Well, I'm going to be there March 11th with a bunch of friends because we're going to go see Trigger Hippie at 3rd and Lindsley. Oh, very cool. That's of, a great venue. It is a great venue. Uh, we've had Steve Gorman on podcast and we're That's part awesome. of a larger Black Crows oriented group and podcast group. And I cannot wait to go and go to that venue. I've not been there before and see, see Steve and his band play because I love Trigger Hippie. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't even know they were playing. March 11th, Friday, March 11th. You don't have a gig, go. I, I do. Friday and Saturdays are my, my, my downtown gig days if I'm in town. But That's when you're taking money from drunken bachelorettes. That's when I'm taking money from drunken bachelorettes. Correct. I, that, that's what I do for a living is I grift. That's, that's my entire job. <laughs> it's, but, it's, but it's, you know, for grifting, it's an honest grift. It is an honest grift. It's, you know, it's, it's fighting the good fight. It's grifting the good grift. You're giving somebody something for their money. Right. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and like with a tip-based job, like the downtown gigs, it's, I mean, I have played, I have wrapped Kanye for a hundred bucks. I have sang the Lion King for 20. It's, I have debased myself entirely as a professional. It's fine. It is. Do, you, it is. do you have a menu? It says like this type of thing is this, you know, the cost in this range. Nope. It's a, well, it depends. Like, you know, like Freebird, that's a hundred bucks just to deal with the emotional and physical therapy resulting. Um, but, uh, you know, typically we're, we're pretty generous. You know, we'll do, we'll do just what I think for 20 bucks. It's just, it is what it is. And it, it keeps things pretty interesting as well. At least you're playing a guitar, you know. <laughs> yeah, at least I'm playing a guitar. And I have a great co-vocalist who helped front it. So between the two of us, we figure it out. So talking more about Nashville, there's so many musicians there. So that wasn't anything that made you go like, oh my gosh, like, like how am I going to, you know, rise to the cream to the top with all this? We've also heard from more than a couple of people that it's, very very supportive and a lot of camaraderie and it's not like cutthroat or anything like that is that is that accurate that's what sets Nashville apart in my eyes because I've I've been to the San Diego scene I've been to the LA scene you know the Boston scene um the Washington scene I mean and everywhere that I've been I mean even Chicago as well sometimes Nashville is the only place I've been where you have to be good at what you do 
And if you're good at what you do, you'll be recognized for that. And that's how you'll get rehired. But also, you know, if you need help, it is a community. It's not people that are going to turn around and talk about you behind your back. I mean, there is some of that, but I mean, you know, people are people. Um, it really, like, honestly, if you're, if you care about what you do and that that's evident in your work and you're willing to put in the time to get to whatever it is you need to do to make your job, um, uh, you know, worth whoever's hiring you, then yeah, you have a community around you. And that's one of the most incredible things that I've experienced here is, and cause Berkeley, especially coming from Berkeley to here, Berkeley is the exact opposite. Berkeley is as cutthroat as it gets. So going from that to moving here where I didn't know anybody, I did not know a single person, um, didn't know what you had to do to be a Broadway musician, didn't know what you had to do to get into venues as an original artist. Having people that would just come up to you and talk to you and coach you through that and support you was a complete game changer. And so even though, you know, Nashville is changing a lot and there's definitely some, some downsides of the influx of tourists and populations, on the musician side of things, it's still such a supportive thing that it's it's something that I'm grateful for and I, I would never be able to take for granted. Just because, I mean, like, you know, the whole reason I'm talking to you guys is because somebody I met in the Nashville scene was supportive enough to mention my name. And so it's just like a, it's like a, a karma cycle, really. You know, if you're good to the people around you in the scene and, you know, they're good to you, it's just, it just gets paid forward. It's really okay. I, just, I just remember something, Shelby and the Cobras. Oh yeah, That's Shelby. That's the name, yeah. not blah 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 and the blah blah. That Shelby and the <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Those are those are cars. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, Shelby's <Nice>. fantastic. <laughs> um, I don't know. It just randomly popped in my head when you were just talking just now. I'm like, oh shit, I remember the name of the, the Jackson Shelby. Both recommended you. So besides Jackson Shelby, like you know, you're very busy as a musician and doing the Broadway thing. Like, how much time do you get to go and check out somebody else? Oh, and, God, very and, and, rarely. and besides those that we've just mentioned, is you know anyone else that pops your head that we might not know of that, that might blow uh, our socks off? I mean, there's so many incredibly musicians here. Um, yeah, I mean, between the Broadway thing and the being on the road with my own band, it's like I I don't get a lot of time to see people. But you know, um, gosh, there's a there's a guitar player in town. His name is Sam Hunter. I don't. I think he has some original stuff, but he is absolutely phenomenal. Um, also, Chris Faust is great. Um, God, there's so many people. It's just like an overwhelming number of, of incredible yeah. musicians here. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, you know, if I had a list in front of me, I could just knock them out one by one. Uh, Lydia's Castle is a band that just released their first single. Amazing female fronted, like hard rock metal group. Um, yeah, it's. It's an overwhelming number of people that I could tell you about. But, um, I mean, Bethany Trap obviously is, is a knockout. Um, yeah, I could I could send you an itemized list later. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll send it, you a spreadsheet. What is it like? Pat, not pass the buck. What am I thinking? Pay it forward. There we go. Pay it forward. Yeah, exactly. The thing about me and Brian is we just don't say no to anybody. We're like, well, we'll talk to anybody. Like, yeah, you think somebody's cool? We'll talk to them. Yeah, we're we're wider genre than what you know, our title is. <laughs> Who's the band you said? Lydia and the... Lydia's Castle. Lydia's um, Castle. She's fantastic. Yeah, she and her husband just started this band and um, released their first single. I'm going to be in their music video on Saturday and they are just... <laughs> she's fierce. She's awesome. She's a total badass. She's a, a powerhouse female vocalist. She's great. Well, you said videos and you are no stranger to videos because you actually have a couple of videos out. Um, 
one just came out not too long ago. I'm going to leave you a couple ones like last year, like during the pandemic, which is triple X moonshine. How mm-hmm. do you, how do you get into these videos? Who brings this up? Like, is that a key part of getting yourself out in front of people as an artist these days? 100%. I mean, everything that you can do as an original artist to promote yourself is, is really solely based on content. So um, when those first two singles were recorded, they were recorded, I think, I think just before the pandemic and um, the obvious next step just to get them out was film music videos um, because you just have to have something that ideally, you know, as an artist, as an up and coming artist, especially ideally you want to have something that you're constantly promoting. So the two singles made sense, follow-up music videos made sense. Um, I'm going to be going in the studio next month to record three singles, which is fantastic because it's long overdue and um, maybe putting videos to them, but it's important just to have something that people can visually you know, see and, and connect with on, I mean, literally any social media platform you can get your hands on. I mean, does your manager help you with it, hook you up with some, a production company? Because I mean, the videos look good. They look, they're legitimate videos, like quality wise. Actually, it was just a friend of mine who I, I actually, I think I met through Jack's Hollow. Um, his name is Austin Delamano and he's just a, He's around my age and he's a videographer in town. And I mean, he just did a, a video for the debut on CME. Um, he, you know, shot the awards. He's an incredible videographer. And so I just, I done photo shoots with him and I was like, man, you know, I've seen some of your video work. I have this idea. I think you might be the right person to work with. And I have, he's been my go-to call ever since for anything, whether it's live footage, music video, photo shoots. He's just a phenomenal person to work with. And you jumped on the trend of floating couches in music videos as well. <laughs> I didn't know it was a trend. I didn't even know it was a trend. I just thought it'd be really fun to throw a couch in a lake. And all of a sudden I find out that it's just like this big thing that people are doing. I'm like, man, here I was thinking I was going to be like innovative or something, but no, people are floating couches left and right. You're right. Well, you know, at least, at least you're in, you know, you're not on the tail end of that trend. You're right in the middle of it. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> and then you did something also interesting too, or whoever you worked with on your triple X moonshine video one, you had like an outtakes reel on that thing to show like kind of the making yeah. of that was pretty, that's, it's like really great. It's on YouTube. It's a minute and a half, two minutes long. We actually have one for, I'm going to leave you as well. I think we just kind of forgot about it, um, but I'll, that'll get out at some point. But yeah, I mean, we just had so much fun filming triple X moonshine, especially because the guy who was playing the male lead, we didn't know each other at all. We had never yeah. met. Well, so you get to make was, out with him and blow smoke in his mouth. That's gross. Right. Yeah. Well, we met on Tinder because I needed somebody immediately. And I yeah. was like, the best way to find an attractive person the night before the shoot, because the original actor had a Forget casting agencies, like, Tinder. Tinder. And it worked out. It worked out great. But like, he's a, Johnny is a goofball. And so like, we just had a great time shooting. So we're like, we have all this great, like, outtake footage. We should just throw it out there and just, you know, just for the heck of it, just to see what happens. And so you I'm glad, like I'm glad you enjoyed tequila it. in your eyes or something too. Like I, you know, oh, yeah. usually aren't using prop stuff in these videos. Oh, we were shooting tequila every take, and we probably did about eight takes of that scene as well. And then in the hotel, the hotel scenes, we killed an entire bottle and a bottle of prosecco and half the absinthe. And my dress got torn wow. and things got broken. Yeah, it was, it was almost more rock and roll in the things that we didn't actually end up using <laughs> <Lots of stuff laughs> that, we used. that sounds like a music video like when brian and i grew up in the 80s with people were actually doing that on music videos you don't hear too much of that these days well what other, like it, that's so surprising to me because i'm thinking like what other way can you do it honestly you know like part of the fun is like you know yeah you're playing a role and you're acting something and there's you know there's marks you have to hit or whatever it is but 
like in order to be in the moment, I think it's important to do it as realistically as possible. So that's taking, you know, a bunch of shots of tequila. I think we were alternating between tequila and water. Um, I was like, we, we gotta at least, you know, like all the bottles that I'm drinking from the hotel scenes, I'm really drinking. So it's like, you know, that was a, was a complicated night, but, um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I think that it's like adds that level of authenticity, especially like with a low budget thing. It's like, you just want it to be as real looking as possible. So if you can do it, then do it. Oh, great points. And I, I laughed my butt off because I watched a couple of times. I just couldn't believe how funny it was. And for those of you listening, go to Leilani's uh, YouTube page, follow her, subscribe. It's on there along with her other videos. It's definitely worth checking out. But I thought it was pretty cool that you made some of these videos. They look great and had some mm -hmm. of that outtake reel stuff because I think I think personality sells a lot. And that's one of the things that Brian and I like to do with the podcast is we give artists a chance to their personality come through. I mean, shit, we, other people talk about songwriting and structure of an album. So if we just, you know, want to, want to talk to the artists and give them a chance to be themselves. I think that's great. I think a lot of people are relying on things like podcast interviews and whatnot to be able to feel a connection to an artist. Mm -hmm. So an opportunity to get to know their personality is fantastic. It's great that you guys do that. So what, what is your songwriting process? I mean, is that something where it's like, I'm going to sit down and write a song? Is it just come out of the blue? Is there, you know, are you driving around all of a sudden you get to hum something into your phone or? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a hot mess is what it is. Cause I'm very ADD. I am super attention deficit and I cold Turkey quit my medication a couple of years ago. Cause I thought that that was a good idea. So typically what happens is like, I will have those moments driving down the street where I'm like, oh, here's a cool melody and I'll, I'll tape it, but then I'll forget about it. I'll forget that it ever existed. I'll probably, everything that I've done in the past couple months, I'll probably listen to it again in like two years and be like, oh yeah, that was actually a decent idea. Typically what happens with my songwriting is I will get lucky and I'll have that bolt of creativity and that turns out to something great. Like I'm going to leave you got written in like 20 minutes. Um, but sometimes like Triple X Moonshine, I actually wrote years ago. And it was a completely different song. And then I can't remember what happened either. Somebody, like a, the friend that produced it asked to track that one, or I started playing it a lot live and I just got sick of hearing the same thing over and over. I was like, I'm just gonna mess with it and change it. Um, nowadays, now that like writing is, is really the thing that I'm primarily focusing on because we have to add new material to the set list and everything. And we, you know, we don't wanna play the same 45 minute show every time. Um, I will sit down and I'll try to come up with just like, just an idea at least. And as a guitar player, as, as I'm sure you understand, Jason, I have the ha bad habit of getting stuck on riffs. And I think that it has to have a great riff and it does. And that's important, but also, you know, I know that this is something that Jax talks about a lot is if the song is great on its own without the band around you, then you have a great song. And it needs to be something that you can do by yourself and do comfortably and still have it, you know, translate just as well. So if I'm writing, especially if I have a deadline, that's usually great inspiration. Um, I'll just think of an idea, something that, you know, I feel actually really is an important memory or experience or emotion that I can, I can really dig deep in. And I'll just think of ways to verbally express that with the lyrics, but have the music accompanying it carry that same motif. So it's, it's kind of a, a hodgepodge process, to be honest with you. Like I'll start with a couple lines or like a chord progression and then just kind of try to fit it all into this one thing. And if I'm really lucky, it'll just kind of flow. But um, sometimes it takes a couple drafts. So you never know. Uh, I thought you I know said some something. I people have like a... Oh, oh go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I 
like, well, first. I know that some people have like, especially in Nashville, there's actually like, you know, people that professionally write for like Universal, they actually will go into work with formulas that they have to meet, you know, certain key hmm. words or like, you know, whatever. And I think that's really inorganic. So I try to avoid doing that. But some people have a whole process and that, that's what works for them. You know, they'll have a formula. So it just depends. Well, I thought you said something really key and like, particularly from the Jack side is getting stuck on a riff, but then also knowing that if it the song is good when you're by yourself, it's a good song without others. You know, a lot of people start writing songs and I do this a lot too. It's just with an acoustic guitar, right? Not because it mm -hmm. takes away from the riffs. It takes, it gives you a little more focus on structure. Is that something you do? Do you, do you work a lot with an, like an acoustic guitar? Or you just mainly grab the electric and go for it. I should, I don't. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I usually, I usually run, you know, the Les Paul or the Telly or whatever through like the drive channel and I'll just, you know, I'll come up with a riff or then, you know, the chord progression or whatever. I just, I should use an acoustic guitar. I think that would make a lot more sense. And I've actually been thinking about it a lot recently, especially with these studio dates coming up for pre-production purposes. I'm like stripping it down with just, you know, a guitar or even honestly, just like an unplugged electric is fine. Sure. But I do have a bad habit of getting into like that you know overdriven sound and i'm like that's that's you know that's what it is all of a sudden like some of the songs i do live i don't think i could do on my own just because they're just not written that way you were talking earlier about the stuff your parents made you listen to or your dad made you listen to but since then like who are guitar players that are a huge influence for you and specifically like blues players as well um man so many honestly one of my favorites has always been gary moore i just ah, and good the call. Thing, yeah i mean what was that album he did that 80s on corridors of power is one of my favorite albums of all time because he he jumps between genres beautifully and he does it so well and so authentically i mean he can play crazy heavy metal you know um yeah uh riffs to you know um, midnight blues you know what i mean so i love gary moore just for his versatility he's very and jimmy pages where like you're spot on where he can do all these different genres really well yeah and he he does it convincingly like there's a yeah. funk track he did on an album that's just like unreal it is so cool but also i mean with the way that he played guitar playing it he, he played it upside down right so like the the riffs that he would come up with like i've tried transcribing a few and it's just like that that's almost something that you can only like eric gales is the same way and i mm -hmm. love eric gales he's a mind-blowing out of this world guitar player but the way that he plays it's like some of the riffs that he does the way his brain processes playing just changes it like it's totally different than what you could do with your typical right hand playing position so i'm fascinated by that um albert king's absurd he's just the coolest bb king will always and forever be up there um i mean his vocals are are insane as well i mean all of the kings freddie king um Joe Bonamassa is the guy that got me. Um, I had a I had a, a a bit of a personal mental breakdown around 14, and I was struggling with like undiagnosed depression. And at the time, I thought self harm was the way to deal with it because I was young and didn't have anybody to talk to and was not listening to the right influences. So um, I cut through my left tendon, and I was I didn't know if I was going to play guitar again. And your so arm? Hard thing. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. Stitches. Oof. And uh, I was in jazz band at the time. And so I just remember going into jazz band after I got released from the hospital and having to tell my teacher, like, I can't play for an indefinite amount of time. And for because of this thing that I did to myself, which was this horrible, shameful feeling. And just sitting there day after day, I was like, I didn't know if I could play guitar again. I started thinking about 
okay, what other career options do I have? Um, and then I saw Joe play at a festival a year later and I, he didn't even like, he hadn't even started singing and I was just in tears because, you know, he's one of those guys who also has such a way of emoting things through tone and, and feel. And I was like, you know what, fuck this. Like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to fix whatever's going on with my hands. And this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I'm not going to take no for an answer. So he was a huge influence for sure. Um, and you've got, a, you've got a little bit of a Bonamassa style because Bonamassa plays blues, but he's definitely got that rock influence. And you're like a rock and rock guitarist with a blues influence. Yeah, I've got too much internal anger to <laughs> just do the typical one four five stuff. Yeah, I gotta I gotta have a little bit of aggression. Um, now he was a huge influence for sure, but I mean, God, there's so many amazing players out there. It's having, I mean, Buddy Guy is is. Well, you've shared the stage with Buddy Guy. I've seen the videos on YouTube multiple times and uh he will always and forever be just this bigger than life character for me because i mean even at 80 i think he just turned 84 85 even at 80 85 um that man owns a crowd like nobody i've ever seen in my life and he's you know his dexterity isn't there anymore you know but he still he doesn't give a shit like he's he's up there whacking a strat you know with the volume rolled up to 10 the amp set to annihilate the bass basically ripped off of the knob you know like it's just he doesn't care and it's one of the best shows i've ever seen in my life but he's also buddy guy like he listened to the stuff he did in the 60s mm -hmm. and his playing is like oh it's just gorgeous so he's definitely a big one and then you can't you can't leave out you know of course the wolf and muddy waters it's right. just uh, it's an ongoing ongoing list larry carlton or not larry carlton but um larry mccray whose new record is i think coming out he just released a few songs that are Larry McRae. I'm not familiar with him. Brian, are you? I think I've heard the name, but is that so something we a, should look into? Definitely. He okay. was a Detroit blues player and okay. his career kind of vanished for a while um, because of just some professional conflicts of interest or something. And so he just got picked up by um, actually Joe and Josh Smith and they just did a new album for him and it's his revival to his career but also i mean the man has like the most incredible stories and like he just released i think it's two songs they put out who's on it's it's he's truly an like the most authentic blues sound you know what i mean oh and joanne Sh joanne Shaw taylor of course is yeah is he's great I'm gonna she's try awesome yeah. last, that new album she has is so so good i sent it to my dad my dad loves blues music i'm like you, you didn't tell him anything about it just sent it to him he's like i had no idea i'm like this is a great album I'm like yeah it's a great album yeah it's a knockout i just saw her play some of the songs on the album in franklin a few weeks ago and uh, unreal you know steve mackie on bass robert Delley on guitar like just uh, she's she's so so killer She's going to try to get her sure. on here. I've been, I've been yeah. working it, but no luck so far, but it's, yeah. So have I. I've tried to reach out to her and. And every once in a while I get somebody like Charlie star, star sends an Instagram message. Want to do a podcast? <laughs> out of the blue. That's fantastic. <laughs> Although it took more tracking down and Brian actually ended up bagging them, but, but it was fun. I was like, Holy crap. Charlie star. That's amazing. Yeah. Y'all want to do a podcast. Legend. What am I going to say? No. Right. <laughs> exactly it's not like they're gonna turn that down no <laughs> right it's charlie star it's yeah you can't you can't do that i'm trying to imagine like what happens when when those guys play in nashville like everybody's just like <sighs> yeah you know weirdly enough nashville is one of those places where people can typically be pretty cool like i i mm. flipped up the other night i am a huge jack white fan uh he's one of the first you know people that got me into like you know just 
like being punk blues. badass. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what I did. I mean, he even did a cover of like an old super old blues standard that's like the St. James Infirmary. It's one of the coolest, you know, versions. But um, I've been a huge fan of his. I know that he lives in Nashville. And so my entire five years here now, I've always had the dream of, oh God, if I ever run into Jack White, that'd be the coolest thing ever. Lo and behold, I did. But I was like two double margaritas in. So me running into Jack White was really just more me accosting him at the bar, which is not cool at all. <laughs> and just mumbling something, some kind of vague thank you for something. And anyway, so, but other than that, other than myself, people are actually pretty cool about running into musicians here, just treating them like normal people. So that's mm. also a nice thing about Nashville. You don't get that, that whole starstruck, right. you know, whatever. Right. I meant more like from a musical musician respect wise, you know, just trying to imagine when Blackberry Smoke shows up and people want to go to the show and anybody for that matter, government, me, every, or whoever every it might be. Every guitar player in town. Yeah, yeah, every guitar player in town always will will be at those shows. For of sure. Course. That's always how it goes. Uh, like Guthrie Trapp plays a lot around town and he's a monster as well. So, you know, typically you're going to find just about every guitar player in Nashville who's who's a fan of the art there at some point. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, it's the same thing with like with Derek Trucks when he plays the Ryman. Right. You run into 20 people you know who just play play in Nashville. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but it's, you know, it's great. It's like nobody's like jaded enough or full of themselves enough to feel like they can't show an artist like that the respect that they deserve for being the caliber that they are. Mm -hmm. So when you go out and play shows outside of Nashville, are you doing your own shows? Are you uh, opening for anybody? What What's that usually look like? Um, I usually do my own shows. So typically what happens is we just got a bunch of dates lined up for the summer, which I'm really excited about. We just started working with a booking agent and uh, I just started working with that management company and they're great. So this is like, considering that I've only been pursuing the original show thing for almost a year now, um, it's gotten a lot more traction than I would have expected. So what's, what the structure is either, I will play the whole show by myself or you know with my band or we'll share the bill with local artists mm -hmm. just to help promote draw so the band you know make sure the bar makes money um so that's typically what it looks like um i would love to do you know hopefully someday hop on as an opening act for for an, a national tour would be great but you know we're still doing we're doing baby step stuff um but i've gotten to open for some really cool people in town like i um opening for glenn hughes was one of the coolest moments of my life and then buddy guy last month so it's you know, Nashville definitely has opportunities in of itself for, for things like that. Was that you getting... when he's with the Dead Daisies or was that Hughes by himself? It was with the Dead Daisies and it was right phenomenal. On. That man is, that man is unreal. Are, are you getting on and put on any blues festivals at all? Um, you know, I, uh, I, it's been weird with the applications just because you don't know what's up and running yet and what isn't. And I have not done the festival circuit for a long time. I did back in California when I was in high school um so i'm just getting familiar with kind of what's what's out here um because before the pandemic i was working on cruise ships so i was not in nashville for probably mm. about two years straight and um just getting reacquainted with the scene here and kind of what's going on because i know kentucky has great festivals i know mm -hmm. even tennessee has great festivals so that is in the works i love i love playing festivals man let me tell you that is a good time right i think we're heading to mexico i think there's a blues festival we're doing in mexico later this cool. year yeah so when I was mentioned, talking earlier about how like I try to focus on relationships between be, between band and people and fans and whatnot, we're obviously in this era where you know people aren't selling millions of records. So um, 
it seems that like it, the that part of the promotion is dependent upon uh, your fans and your fans that are family and, and all the bands we talked to, they all have uh, fan Facebook pages and, you know, Guilty as charged, well, I'll mention Blackberry Smoke a lot because I'm just so infatuated. One of our favorite bands in the Black Hair for Southern Rock, yeah. One Mm -hmm. of their live gigs on a DVD is from North Carolina. And I remember then the beginning, they got a little snippets of interviews and then Charlie says, like, we decided early on we're going to be a fans band. Now, I don't, I can't necessarily say that I know for sure that they're, you know, responsible for that, for everybody else doing it. But it just seems like that's a common way to go about things now and, and, which you also mentioned earlier about not being starstruck to us as fans, it doesn't seem like musicians these days are like floating in the sky up over here or more accessible. And it's all just very, like you said, you, you know, meet a guitar player, semi-famous and natural, and it's not all, Oh, it's, you know, it's more. Right. So I'm kind of babbling, but I'm just kind of getting at that. Um, If you see that too, like, you know, looking at your fans as family and needing that component as part of the promotion, yeah, it's a little weird how the 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 idea of a rock star has shifted. You know, the the what we see as a rock star nowadays is, is a different paradigm than what it was back in even the '90s. Um, because, like, Lemmy has that famous quote: "You know, when you walk in the room, you want people to know that you're supposed to be on the stage." And I 100% believe in that personally. I do think that when you are playing a show, you should dress better than the audience. That's an old, you know, that's an old. Um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking? A blues motto, basically, like mm-hmm. a lot of the old blues guys. That's why they would wear suits on stage, always dress better than the audience. But nowadays, when people are so hungry for some kind of interpersonal connection with the person they look up to or admire or are a fan of, you need to have that that aspect of realism and approachability. And frankly, when it comes down to it, is something that I I think about a lot and and will never ever pretend and you know not acknowledge is. People don't have to come to my shows. They don't. Um, I played at some little bar called The Underdog. It's a great venue down in East Nashville last week. And um, I promoted it quite a bit, you know, as you're supposed to do. But nobody had any reason to come. And the fact that we played to a packed room was, like, it was overwhelming for me because that's just, just people that genuinely care. And so you have to be able to go out there and thank those people and know that the fact that they made the effort to come out and listen to you of all people, especially in a city like Nashville, that's a huge, huge thing that nobody should ever take for granted. So you do want to, and, and there's nobody that you can't afford at least 15 seconds for, you know, just to get to know and say thank you and say hello. And that's really, that's, you know, really all it takes just to show somebody gratitude for being supportive. And you have to have that, especially nowadays with how insanely oversaturated the music, the music mm-hmm. industry is. If you can't if you can't be a real person around the people that want to get to know you and want to support you, then they have no business doing it, in my opinion. You know, you shouldn't have to act like you are owed anything because they're not, especially not in this this business. With that packed audience, um, had that been a regular thing for you before that? Um No, not really. I mean, the thing is I've I've played I try to stagger my national shows enough that there's, you know, a couple months in between. You don't want to oversaturate the market. Uh, the first full room that I played to was because of the Dead Daisies, and that was not for me. I was just lucky mm. enough to be the opening band. Um, but I've played in Nashville quite a bit, but I've never had a packed room, whether it was because the city was still recovering from the pandemic, as far as attendance was concerned, or just, you know, just a, a weird night, hard to book. It was the first time I had people just come out to see me, and, and actually, and there was no cover. So it was mm-hmm. just people just came out to be supportive, and it was people I knew, people I'd never heard of. 
who were like, hey, we, you know, heard about you from someone else. And that sort of thing is like, it's, it's weird because it's almost, it, you almost, I don't know. I, I have a weird, like, I have a hard time with compliments as it is. But for me, it was like, I, you know, I want to put on the best show I can for these people because that's, they deserve nothing less. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, because rock star, like, when you think of a rock star, you think of somebody who's like out there, you know, throwing TVs out of like hotel windows and staying up till six o'clock in the morning and like doing like the thing that every kid dreams of doing. But honestly, you know, I think that if somebody notices that you're disingenuous about what you're doing or you're ungrateful or you feel entitled, they pick up on it really quickly. People aren't stupid, you know? Like, that's the same thing with whatever song you're playing on stage, you better be able to relate to it or people are going to figure out real quick that what you're doing means nothing to you. So, you know, you need to be able to afford interpersonal relationships and conversations and just get to know your audience one-on-one. -on -one. It's so important. You're talking about that crowd. You know, coincidentally, uh, it reminds me of what Jax told us, and I've heard her say this on other podcasts, that the first time she peeked behind the curtain or whatever and saw her biggest crowd she had seen, it was like a feeling from the tip of her toes all the way up. That, and, and the same thing, too, she couldn't really describe it. But, I mean, that's yeah. just kind of reminded me of yeah, you talking about that as well. Yeah, it is, a, it, is, it is a bizarre feeling, especially when you know that you're the reason those people are there. It's it's this weird combination of pressure and adrenaline and exhilaration. And it's it just kind of laser focuses you in on what you have to do to the, almost to the point where you don't want to be around other people, at least for me anyway. I'm like, this is, you know, this is a really pivotal moment and it needs to be made the most of. And you don't want distractions. You just want just to get there as quickly as you can and do your job the best you can. It's it's a very bizarre feeling, especially the first time seeing that. You know, because I've, I've played festival crowds, I've played buddy guy crowds, you know, that's one thing. But if you're the reason people are there, it's not to see that act following you or whatever. It's it is um it's a, a uniquely bizarre rush. Yeah. We'll take it on the flip side. So we had uh, Nick Reese on from Joyous Wolf, who's a great rock band, a lot of energy. Nick has mm. a lot of energy. He says when he, you know, they do a lot of opening runs for some from bigger acts. And he says his job on stage is to win everybody over when he's an opener. Is I mean, what's your perspective when you're playing an op opener for a Dead Daisies uh, buddy guide? Do you have one? Yeah, 100%. I mean, like opening for Buddy Guy, because I played with him quite a few times. I'd never mm -hmm. opened for him until last month. And for me, that was a huge, huge honor. And so partially, you know, because of the club, because of the audience, because of the artists I'm opening for, partially for me, it was like you, you know, your role is to to be the best you can be and make sure that everybody enjoys the show. That's kind of your job. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with the Dead Daisies. It's like you want to win the crowd over because opening acts typically don't get a lot of attention you know right. they're not usually well known so you have a lot of people that have no idea who you are they don't know your songs they don't know what to expect or if they're going to like it and you have to you have to hold their attention and hopefully give them a reason to like you i mean with the buddy guy thing it was just i felt a lot of pressure for that gig because i had started kind of straying from the blue stuff and a lot mm -hmm. of my writing had become very rock so I actually wrote new songs for that show specifically just to make sure that my audience didn't feel disconnected. They still felt like they were in a show that made sense for Buddy Guy and they still felt like there was an artist who cared about why they were there, you know, if that makes sense. So um, yeah, as an opener, I mean, 
you can't just half-ass it. You have to go out there. And I mean, it's, I heard this story about Henry Rollins and Iggy Pop. You know, for a while, Black Flag was opening for Iggy Pop. And Henry Rollins would get so pissed because he would put every bit of blood, sweat, and tears into his set. And Iggy Pop would always upstage him. But it was like this rivalry and to the point where he was like, I just want to walk off stage and just impress Iggy Pop for once, you know. So you want to go out there, you know, it is a bit of a fight. It's like a killer be killed mentality, honestly. As if you're headlining, you know, people are there to see you. It's it's almost the danger of I don't have to try as hard, but that's that's never a mindset you want to get into because you can't phone it in even as a headliner, especially not as the opener. So what yeah. one, sorry, Brian, how does one impress an Iggy pop? I mean, this is a guy who <laughs> cuts himself and rolls around in raw meat. So like, what do you have to do? <laughs> you know, I wish you could remember Henry Rollins did a whole interview about it. I think uh, it was like some festival in, uh, in Iceland or something. And, and I don't, I can't remember what Henry Rollins did, but I, I know by the end of it, he said he was damn near passed out or dead or something. And Iggy pop, I think just like walked by him backstage and just like nodded or something. And Henry Rollins was like, I did it. I finally did it after six months of eating raw egg and hitting the gym for three hours a day i finally did it i don't so know that's a, what, a what's the show or what's after the show like for you as you had mentioned earlier you know for whatever moment not wanting to be around people like is there an adrenaline that you need to come down from is there a moment that you need to just kind of chill or is it uh, hard to describe yeah, honestly, you know, the thing is, I, I always prioritize going out and talking to people to play with you like Cam, because I don't want anybody to feel like they go unnoticed or that their attendance was not appreciated, especially if it's friends of mine. Um, you know, and I also just like meeting new people. Um, but I do have to have a little bit of solitude because I, you know, we're all our own worst critic. And I will, if something happens on stage that I'm not happy with, I will ruminate in that for hours. So, um, I do have to have a little bit of time just to come down a little bit from the adrenaline, self-evaluate, check in with my bands, make sure that they're okay. Um, see if there's anything that they had any issues with or, you know, get their read on things. Um, and just kind of get ready to go be a different version of, not like a different version of myself, but start exercising a different side of myself. I'm typically pretty introverted. And being on stage and being, you know, an artist, you have to be extroverted. You have to be able to relate to an audience. So that takes a lot of energy for naturally introverted and you have to do that on stage. Yeah. And it's exhausting for me, especially. And I don't know why that is. I just, I was always. Because it's not natural. You're fighting against your, I'm, people find this hard to believe I'm introverted, but like I do this podcast. Really? I, for, yes. <laughs> a quick story. Cause when we were in Nashville, we had bre- like the day when we were all going to leave Sunday, we had breakfast at what's the something at the manor. It's a big uh, old plantation house, whatever. Over by the close to the airport. It's like you sit, family style. Right? Yeah. You sit on family style with people who don't even know. And Jason's just like, bah, 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 bah. like, and it's great to be with someone like that. Just like, you don't know these people before. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> yeah. so, and I'll tell you, and I think I, I get, get where you're going. Lonnie is like my job. I have to work and talk and do stuff with people every day. And like, I do the podcast, which I love doing this, but it takes more energy for me because I make myself do that. <laughs> now my wife gets pissed at me when I don't want to come constantly be social all the time because he's very very social but i'm like i'm just worn out from having to be this during my job yeah absolutely no i completely understand it's like it is there's a certain point and this has always been a huge huge personal struggle for me that i should probably see a therapist about 
there's a certain point where if people are coming up and, and giving me compliments on my show, which is always, always appreciated. And this is not me saying that I, I dislike it. I actually, I start to be uncomfortable with myself after saying thank you so many times, because my biggest fear is at some point, it's not going to sound genuine. And I'm like, you know, God forbid I get, I just get burned out to the point where I'm not paying this person the attention that I need to be paying them or being as participative in the conversation that I hate that feeling because that's not what I want. Mm -hmm. I always want to be giving whoever's speaking to me, especially after a show when they don't have to by any means, um, just make sure they get the attention that they deserve and let them know that I'm grateful. And at a certain point, I will start to freak out internally and I'll be like, I need to, I just need a, a bit of a break just to reassess and just kind of like regroup because I get really kind of like socially overwhelmed. And I hate that because the last thing I want to do is make people feel like they can't come talk to me. But at the same time, if I'm getting really burnt out and I'm starting to feel like, you know, if I'm starting to panic a little bit, like I just, I'm not, I don't have the mental or the, you know, energy capacity to pay this person the mind that I want to, I, I, my guilt and then my, my, my anxiety will just kind of like I hear freak out. So I, I've definitely found myself in situations where like, I'll, you know, my bandmates know me pretty well. If I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, they, they can kind of tell and they'll kind of come and step in for a little bit, or I'll just have to misdirect the conversation just to have like 30 seconds to just kind of breathe and just, you know, kind of refocus. And yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the hardest thing for me is because I, I really don't like that feeling. I don't like, I don't want anybody to think that for some reason, I don't appreciate them taking the time to say something. Mm -hmm. That's never the case. But, you know, at the same time, it's, it is, it is very, very emotionally taxing to, you know, be engaging all the time in the persona of the artist, you know, socially, it's, it's kind of a different thing, like hanging out with friends, of course, it's, right. it's totally different. But, you know, there is a, a standard and a behavior that you need to exhibit as somebody who's coming off stage. And it's important to make sure that you're meeting the people's expectation, you know, you're being polite, which is always important. So yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird, a weird paradox of, I want to talk to people, but I, I don't know if I can. <laughs> Every once in a while, I just need, you do need that breath. And I completely get that. And like, Brian, I'm not surprised you found it. Say you didn't think I was introverted, but <laughs> I'd much rather have those conversations with people at the table and be engaging. I think it's less mm -hmm. stressful, but I need time. So mm -hmm. that five and a half hour drive back from Nashville to Ohio, I appreciate <laughs> being by myself. <laughs> oh yeah, 100%. And it's weird. Maybe, maybe like Jason, you'll understand this as a, as a fellow introvert. I have moments where I'm, I am fucking great at socializing and I will carry a conversation sure. like nobody's business. And then all of a sudden something will click. I'll just go like, yep. Oh God. No, all the time. I mean, I get that. I get that all the time. I really do. I really do. And, and stuff like this podcast is great. Cause I do actually like talking to people and this is never taxing for me, like works taxing or if I do other stuff taxing, but um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I will like, I'll be humming along and it's just like, I just, I'm, I'm done. I just don't mm. want to talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, I thought it was just crazy. I'm really glad to hear about it. Maybe I'm crazy it. with you. It's very possible. Is it socially bipolar a thing? Can that be? Socially that be bipolar. That's a great term. There you go. Listen, it's another great it. punk band name. <laughs> we, we got blah point. and the blah blahs and we have socially bipolar. <laughs> we're almost at a full lineup here <laughs> it's an interesting perspective when you talk about you know experiencing yourself as a performer coming off stage but then telling us the story earlier about jack white so is that do you like learn from you, the people that you look up to is that something 
you may have picked up on from them too, like being kind of self-conscious of, you know, when should I approach them? When should I not? Or, you know, after two margaritas. Or... <laughs> I think the two margaritas were to help me approach him. He's hard to miss. Um, He's very uh, pale, very pale. Yeah, especially with the blue hair now. It's, yeah. He, was he has in a blue venue. hair now? I have not his seen blue hair. He was he was watching his girlfriend Olivia Jean open for for a, a band from Atlanta, and so you know I was there to see the band, and he was there, and I was like, oh fuck, that's Jack White, you know. So after all of that, I think just 13 years of compounded nerves just ended up with the double margaritas and the very clumsy thank you. Um, yeah, I think um, the more I'm around people that I look up to, and the more I realize, you know, because really like. What I want when I'm talking to somebody like, you know, when I met Earl Slick, I'm a huge David Bowie fan. And I met Earl Slick um, not too long after Bowie had passed. And I was going to be on stage with Earl. And I was like, oh, my God, this is one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. But I, I just want to talk to this person and make sure that they're okay. And I realized the way to do that is not be like, hey, can we take a selfie? Hey, blah, blah, blah. You just need to be a real person. And I appreciate that talking to people as well is I do have people that see me strictly as the artist role and that's great and I love that but you know I just I like being to have I like having a real conversation with people I think it makes the whole human experience a little more genuine I'm not much of a small talk person I like to just kind of mm -hmm. get to the point so yeah it, I think it's a little bit of both is like you just want to make the other person feel comfortable if you are a fan you don't want to freak them out you don't want to make them feel out of place or singled out it's just important to just treat people like people i think and well, if they think I, you're a jerk they're not gonna buy your stuff and go to your show either it's like self-marketing <laughs> yeah i mean you gotta be able to sell yourself as well 100 yeah. and it's like that's a weird thing about being an artist is like you want to be the person they think that they're that they want you to be mm -hmm. you know you want to fill that role in their mind but also like you don't want to be an asshat you know what i mean you right. just want to be like <laughs> a nice person so it's like a yeah it's, it's kind of a, a tricky line to walk because you don't want to, I don't know. It, it, is, it is weird. Like that's why I like changing after my shows and just getting back in the street clothes because it gives me a chance to kind of reset as just a person. And then people can see me that way as well. I got to ask you about all your ink. Is that over a period, long period of years? Is it less of a, um, and is it a wolf under your right forearm? Right here? No, over your right. Oh, uh, that, yeah. Yes. Their left arm. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, no, on your other arm. On your uh we've got a scorpion right we've there got a rose oh that's a rose right okay yeah it's a rose it's just okay. a, i should put lotion on well um that's it's a couple of years and when i was doing contracts especially i mean i went to 28 countries in one year which is insane mm -hmm. but wow. i was like man you know i want to get a tattoo and you know every country i can so a lot of these are like you know that's from dublin that's amsterdam i have one of my legs from Rome. you got a switchblade tattoo in amsterdam yes interesting I mean, the, the Dutch people, my wife's Dutch, her, <laughs> her dad is from Holland. They don't, I mean, I've not seen any of them carry switchblades. <laughs> That's true. You know, I could have probably gone for a windmill that would have made a lot more sense or a tulip. windmill, pot brownie, uh, tulip. You, know, <laughs> you should have just gotten a grav bong, really. Wouldn't you? Know, my parents would have been stoked. My parents would have <laughs> loved that. Um, I don't know why I got the switchblade. I think I wanted to like a, I like traditional and I wanted just like an old traditional flash, yeah. you know place and i'm just impressed somebody cool. in the netherlands knew how to draw or tattoo on a switchblade 
they did a great job. They did Most a great of it's job. been rubbed off from guitars at this point. But yeah, I mean that's like yeah. right on the body. Yeah, you're rubbing that. Yeah. Yeah, which is that was great for the healing process. Man, love that. <laughs> so you had to have gotten um, one once you got to Nashville, right? Uh, yeah, no? I've actually got yeah. one few in Nashville. I got I got a lot in Nashville. Got a grim, is that a Grim Reaper? It is. Yeah, I've got a Grim Reaper there. I've got a whole ship on the back of my arm, and then I've got you know the coffin over here and. Yeah, so it's that on your it's, elbow, it's that spider web, that had to hurt, right? <laughs> it wasn't great. No, I think honestly, though, the most there's like no one, skin, there's no fat, there's nothing on your elbow. It's bone. You got to really suffer through it. You just got to, you kind of go into like a, a state of, of like, like reality suspension and just pretend holding it's not your arm like that That's just for that, that long. Washington state per, uh, drinking cold coffee in the middle of winter and you know yeah that's i probably had one with me at the time honestly i think the most painful place uh, getting tattooed over my scar tissue wasn't great but um the the moon i have here under the fleshy part of the the pad of my hand that's no good because not only do you have your wrist bone there you mm -hmm. have a ton of nerves on the side Oof. of your hand so that was like, I, I was, I was pissed. I was not happy. And that was one session. So that was the whole thing. And I really do need lotion, but yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I like, I think tattoos are like, it's the same vein as, as being on stage. It's like that mm -hmm. adrenaline rush. You know what I mean? Jason, is it that time of the show? Oh, we're getting close to lightning round time. But before we get to that, Lonnie, I want to talk a little bit of gear talk with you. Let's do it. Bring it on. So you've got, you've, you seem to receive a couple new guitars. You've got a nice Gibson 335. How did you get that? Tell me about that guitar. It's actually an Epiphone. Um, how do I, how do I, how do I Is it a new, up? is it the new one? Cause I know the new Epiphone 335 is really, really good. They changed the headstock. I think the electronics, the pickups are all new. It's an unreal guitar. It, it just, it sings. I mean, it gets that perfect amount of borderline feedback when you're running it through yeah. a drive pedal. It's, unreal that um how do i say this I you play a lot of epis though i know you've got a I custom must fall epi three pickup three humbucker pickup yeah 57 custom kind of uh not reissue but tribute more or less um and then but how'd you Lazarus. get this 335 though i, I want to hear about it was this. a it was a gift um in fact most of my phones have been gifts um which is very very fortunate i'm i'm lucky to have someone in my life who a knows that i love guitars and B understands that that is a very good gift to give uh, a person like myself. Um, now, a lot of them are um, just, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they're like, you know, I'm trying to not get myself in trouble here. Um, they're, they're gifts and That's okay. uh, <laughs> they're fantastic. And um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is like, um, I just put them through the, the I kind of test run them basically mm -hmm. and just, um, you know, see how they, they handle in a real world, world situation and give feedback so that can get passed to Epiphone and, you know, what's wrong, what, what works, what doesn't work. But um, I get to keep them, which is very nice. But they've really, Epiphone's really stepped up their game recently with the quality and the output of their guitars. Like, I'm telling you, that, that 335 model, the one that came out this year is really, really good. Yeah, it is a 2022, and it is so gorgeous. It is just, and I, the weird thing is, like, I, you know, I grew up, never thinking i'd ever play epiphones i was such a snob about gibson sure. i had only gibsons i was like screw epiphone i don't need epiphone i've got gibsons now i don't really touch my gibsons honestly it's like either the fender telly like the it's called a parallel universe telly it has the triple mm -hmm. pickups 
and the Bigsby, or I'm playing. Is that the black ones. one? Is that a black mm-hmm. one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the gold hardware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that thing is a beast. Um, but yeah, it, they're just Epiphone is making some really, really great guitars at like a, a you know, and a reasonable price for a budget. And absolutely, I think that three thirty five is like five fifty or something ridiculous, like price for a really good, yeah. highly rated guitar. Yeah, and it's it is a it, honestly it might be. It might be one of my top three guitars in my collection at this point. Really? Not, See, now you're selling me on it because yeah. I really want one. I've been, I've been on it. It's, it's, it's tasty. Yeah, it's easy to play. If you, you know, I, I do my own action adjustment. I like okay. it. I like it a little higher than, than do you? So why do, why do you like it? Why do you like it higher? Because you're not really doing slide or anything. No, I don't make it too high. I, I keep, I keep everything pretty like enough that if i need to because i do a lot of bending in my playing so um, what gauge strings are you using are you using lighter I use gauge 11. I use 11. oh so you so no wonder you're rising action that's a pretty heavy gauge string and you're bending a lot with 11s yeah 11 to 52 is my typical gauge god you must um, you must be able to crush boulders with your hands <laughs> i have yeah my hands are these are not these are not handshake friendly hands no um also i recently discovered i can actually use my left hand for fingertip print scanning because i have no prints left on the top half of my fingers so wow. it's all just it's, it's all well just yeah those 11s are digging into it it's huge calluses i'm sure yeah so well the good news is if i ever wanted to commit a crime i could be like the one-handed bandit Shh, don't say that on here another that. <laughs> brian edit that out we gotta listen to that podcast <laughs> <laughs> confessions of a criminal um yeah, no, I just, I like the 11s because as, as I'm sure you know, a lot, I mean, P90s were specifically designed to work with higher gauge strings. Sure. So um, I was, I did, I started on nines like every kid does and then right. eventually got up to 10s, but I was just popping the 10s like nobody's business. So I was like, you know what, screw it, we're just going to 11s. I just ended up putting a 13 in place of my high E on my telly out of necessity because I, it's just the only string I had that was closest. And actually playing with a 13 to 52 gauge is not the worst thing. I mean, you really got to fight it and it's not, you know, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but I kind of like the tone better almost. It's not quite as sharp. Really? So. Well, that's yeah. true. It's not sharp as ringy. But I mean, the 11s are heavy enough. Yeah. Well, with the, with the triple humbuckers, the, the split coil humbuckers, I mean, it's kind of like, okay. you know, it's maybe that's just like that particular, that guitar, but yeah, 11s are not nice. It's, you know, that's enough. Honestly, if you're going to torture yourself, just there's no need to go all speed rave on. Man, you are all about the abuse. That's crazy. I can't imagine 11s. <laughs> <laughs> I have a guitar that I, I is designated baseball bat beaten um, for the, um, there's some three bands. I have my own band, the Broadway band, and then a punk band I'm in. And part of the show is I will, I will bring a wooden bat out and just take all of my frustrations whether it's you know i got cut off in traffic or something i will i, I hit the guitar with it so um yeah that guitar is is not long for this world i think there's a crack that goes all the way through the body at this point and the pickup's been smashed in so yeah a lot of abuse is that the beat creeps is that the name it is the beat creeps yeah yes indeed brian it's and i do the smallest amount of research possible so. <laughs> <laughs> gotta wing it <laughs> we don't yeah i saw the name on your tour dates why like research on the internet when you can ask people questions I actually love that. I respect your work method. <laughs> Somebody does. <laughs> uh, they say what other gear people, questions do you have? Uh, uh, what, what kind of amps are you playing through right now? Hmm. Um, uh, I am really partial to my fenders. Um, I, do, I do have a Marshall Head JCM 2000 that I absolutely love that I'll run through a Friedman cab. 
Um, I have a VHT D50, so it's kind of like a Dumbo clone. I don't like bringing it out with me, so that kind of just stays home. Um, but I have a, you know, I always, same thing with like my, my weird thing about Epiphones, I was like a solid state, anti-solid stater for ages and ages. Right. I was like, no, you know, a tube snob, 100%. I just got this um, solid state that Fender's making. Uh, they do it in a twin and I think a deluxe reverb. Oh yeah, and yeah. I can't tell the difference. And it, you know, the fact uh, that I'm carrying it's a like twin around- It's like 80 pounds lighter. That's what you can tell the yeah. difference. Yeah, exactly. So as much as I miss the arm workout, it's like it is an absolute godsend. And the fact that it has a built-in attenuator, you know, and you can adjust, you know, it has more durable the, um, too. You don't have to worry about your. Oh man, it has your, a direct input built in. Yeah. You can adjust how much is going through the direct input. It's just like it's just an amazing, amazing piece of equipment. And then people, you know, people that don't know what it is don't think it's a, you know it's a solid state. So I I kind of tend to run through that. Or I'll and the sound is so like, good now too. I think the only thing you don't great. get is necessarily. Some of the feedback, some of the a little bit of the feel, but the sound quality is there. Yeah, I mean, you don't get that that warm tube breakup like you right. you would if you were really pushing, you know, like a an actual tube amp. But I mean, I know they spent. I think somebody told me it took them like two years to get the mm-hmm. the uh, the reverb cab um, simulation correct, and it sounds fantastic. The whole amp sounds amazing. So either that or my Hot Rod Deluxe, I'll bring that out. But um, no, I mean honestly, and I I, I can't believe I'm publicly confessing this, but the Solid State Twin is, has been my go-to ever since I got it. And I have I have a 68 reissue that's killer, but it just stays in the apartment wow. now because I don't want to carry 75 pounds. I was going to say, you're lugging your own gear on tour and stuff. A Solid yeah. State's way better. Yeah, so that that's kind of my go-to at the moment. Although I do I do love tubes. If I had the option, I, sure, I, would, of course. I would offer it every time. Tubes yeah, are great. Beat. Could record with tubes, do whatever, practice. But man, if you're going around the country lugging stuff on your own, oof. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, seventy-five pounds of amp in the back of the car is it'll Lots. it'll do a number for sure. Yep. Uh, do you have a, a pedal or anything that you're fond of right now? Uh, yes, I do, and I don't have it with me. I wish I did, but um, there's actually, I mean, I I love the Freeman BEOD. That's what I use for all my lead tones, just because it has the ability to with the the EQ that's built into it, you mm-hmm. can really cut through. I love that. Um, it is sensitive though. I have, I have frequently and still do to this day blown people's heads off by accidentally nudging that volume knob and it just, it's, it's over. Um, but there's this company, this guy in, I think it's in New York, he's, or New Jersey. Anyway, this company is Music Box Pedals and he's made two custom pedals for me now that are kind of like simulations of what was called a Timmy pedal. It was a specific, specific type of like drive pedal. Anyway, these little pedals, they're called the Lila Drive. They are phenomenal. And um, if I don't have like a TS-808 that I want to bring out, I will offer the Lila Drive or just stack them. And it's just, yeah, it's fantastic. So Because they're all hand-wired in their boutique, but they're super sturdy. And the tones are actually like just phenomenal, especially pairing it with a semi-hollow body guitar or a ball. So last gear question before we get in the lightning round to finish things off here. You get one guitar and you want to have to take with you to play a show. What are you choosing? <laughs> it depends on the show. Um, <laughs> if it was my own show, um, uh, before I got the 335, I would have to say the 59 Epiphone reissue that I just got, Lazarus. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, well, either that or the 57 Custom Epiphone with the triple pickups. Although I have a bad habit of breaking tone knobs off, and they're both, I mean, at least I know the, the Epiphone triple pickup is missing a tone knob breaking the tone knob off or just the cap like 
Uh, the cap. I don't know okay. what it is with tone knob caps. For some reason, I, 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 I literally, I opened the case, the 335, and within two days, that thing was off. So I don't know what my issue is with them, what I have against that subconsciously. Mm. But either either one of the Epiphone Les Pauls, the 335, and Amp, I would have to go with the solid state twin just for the conveniency of it all. I think that's a good choice. I mean, the 335 is very versatile in and of itself. Yeah, although, you know... The only thing with the twins is that, you know, if we're not talking pedals, I do like a bit of gain. So mm -hmm. it's pretty hard to get a, a twin up to six, which is where you need for that speaker breakup. So maybe if we're talking no pedals, I would I would opt for maybe the the DH the VHD D50, the double clone. Mm. Yeah. That's a tough question. It's a That's good tough one. question. So I like asking it. <laughs> <laughs> we ask the hard questions. All right, let's get in the light round. These are just Fun questions, easy questions, don't overthink them, all right? Gibson, Fender, or Epiphone? Gibson. Les Paul, Les Paul Jr., 335. Les Paul. All right, good choice, good choice. All right, P90s or humbuckers? Mm. Mm. Depends on the year, but probably humbuckers. I mean, you got to get that punk. You got to get the punk and everything with it going. It just has a nice, I think the mid-range on humbuckers is great. Um, well, the I mean, Gibson humbuckers are great too. Like, you know. Okay. <laughs> what is the, what's your first concert that you went to? First concert I went to uh, that I remember. Um, I think at the earliest I remember is seeing Dr. John and Buddy Guy at a blues festival. Dr. In John and Buddy oh. Guy. Wow. My dad yeah. loved Dr. John a lot. He was a badass. What's the last concert you went to? Last concert I went to. See what that was then. I just went to one. Um, oh, I think it was Joanne Shaw Taylor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where was that at? Just down the road in, in Franklin at the Franklin Theater. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I lied to you. Eric Gales. Eric Gales is the last one I went to. Where was he playing? He was playing in Nashville at City Winery. Very nice. What is the last record you bought? Last record I bought, um, mm -hmm. it was an Albert King record. I can't remember which one it was. Mm. Uh, it's the only one, it's the only photo of him playing a strat. And I can't remember the name of the record, but it's, a, I think it's 78. And the cover's him with studio headphones, those awful chunky studio headphones on, mm -hmm. and a coily cable, and he's playing a strat, which you never see. I can't remember the name of the record, but that's the last one I bought. What's the first record you ever remember getting? First record I ever remember getting? I think my dad gave me, what did he give me? I think he gave me, um, was it the Adventures of Al Cooper and Mike Bloomfield? Hmm. I think, or it was a Beatles record, one or the other. Either way, can't go wrong. Nope. Cannot go wrong, yeah. What is your favorite place to go see a show? The Ryman's unbelievable. The Ryman's unreal. I saw the rival songs there, and it just blew my mind. Ooh, they're coming nice. to Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is about two hours from me if you have the chance i cannot recommend it enough the, i like those I mean, guys their did your website compare a, you to them or something yeah somebody somebody told me once that uh they they describe my music as uh, i get joan jen a lot but somebody once said to me you know what you're kind of like if rival sons grew a pair of tits and i was like i think that's the best thing that's ever that's what was on your website <laughs> i'm like what was what's i was like i can't not publish that I, that should be on a shirt. I mean, it should market, you can market that. I should. That's a good idea. They'll never get any royalties. Or a koozie or something. I don't know. Something like that. 
<laughs> can't yeah. let such a good, good marketing line go to waste. Uh, What's your emails as well? So. What is your favorite place to play a show? Ooh, oh, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, it kind of depends. There's a venue up in Indiana, actually, in Evansville called Mojo's Boneyard, and it's kind of a smaller club. Um, but you know, Eric Ellis does play there. Ali Venables play there. Our, our friends, home base, the 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 uh, Cold Stairs are from Evansville. Oh yeah, Chris, that's right. Yeah, the Cold Stairs. I don't know if they've played there. Um, but the thing about Mojo's that's so special is it's owned by this fantastic couple, Jeremy and Tiffany, and I've been playing there for almost five years now. And they do such a good job of making it feel like a home away from home. And you just kind of, you know, the audience is always the, you know, people that will come back and see you. Um, I love playing festivals. Absolutely love playing festivals. And Tipitina's in New Orleans is great. The Wilburn Theater in uh, Boston is great. Those are both the funny guy. And um, there's a couple of, actually Mercy Lounge in Nashville was fantastic as well. There's so many good venues. It's hard to choose. And like I said, I love a good festival stage. You can't go wrong with a good festival stage. And there's a venue down in Mississippi as well that I play a lot called the Cannery. That's, that's oh, kind of the same part. Yeah, Where's that at in Mississippi? Mojo. It's in Biloxi. Okay. Yeah, and uh, the owner's just this great guy that I've, we're very close at this point, and, and he does an amazing job of, of running very professional, very professional, you know, sound, which is so important. Absolutely. So Brian and I are probably coming back to Nashville for Rock and Pod again. Um, oh, awesome. Recommend a place for us to go eat. Recommend a place for you to go eat. What do you like? I eat anything. Everything. Do you like spicy things? Sure. I like everything. All right. If you guys are gonna, if you guys are gonna go for the Nashville hot chicken, if you haven't, I recommend you do. Go to Prince's. That's, Prince's? The, that's the place to be. Isn't yep. that what JD Simo recommended for us as well, Brian? When we talk, we get the Nashville hot chicken debate. Could be. Probably. Do you know Prince's JD? Is, I do. Yeah. He's, he's a, a character and a half. He is an amazing guy. Unreal. Yeah. He's he's one of those players that's just like you know different level. He and would he probably was, recommend Prince's. He was an exciting conversation. He had all sorts of stories. He was amazing. Yeah, he's yeah. he's way out there. <laughs> he's great. He's great. My type of person. He, he he would talk, so I wouldn't have to. That's why I like it. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Then that's I mean that's that's your whole job right there. That's easy peasy. <laughs> um, you can play with anybody, living or dead, on stage for one night. Who are you choosing? Oh, 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 <laughs> oh okay. Oh, um, for the longest time, my dream was to play with David Bowie. Um, for sure just to be on stage with him. Um, I want to, I'm going to be on stage with Bonham Moss at some point. That's, that's, that's how we, we met in the first You'll probably be on the blues cruise before you know it. Hopefully I, when we met, I told him I'd be better than him someday. And that's kind of still a work in progress. So at, at some point, inevitably. <laughs> what did he say I, to that? He was very cool about it. He said, you probably already are, but you're never going to own as many guitars as I do. And I went, okay. True, true, true story. Never. True no, but story. Nobody will. <laughs> yeah. Nielsen. So I'd like to, Oh, well, there you go. Rick Nielsen, for sure. I mean, Rick Nielsen is such a, oh, Lord, he's the coolest. Um, well, there was a clip of him where he, they're in this room and it's like these shelves that like rotate, like pulling like a library. <laughs> like it's insane. Right, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, the Gibson Garage in Nashville has like a convey, like a laundry conveyor belt of guitars and I, I can't go in there because I have rent to pay. So it's like, it's just <laughs> devastating. Either that or I'm going to commit a felony. I haven't decided. So was your choice Bowie or Bonamassa? Ugh. But then there's also people like, then, you know, like, Al, uh, oh, I mean, Albert King was so freaking good. Ooh, I, I would have to say overall, probably Bowie. He just seems like a very lovely person. I did. Is, is there any particular song you'd want to make sure that you played? Oh, anything that Stevie Ray did with him. 
you know, China Girl, Modern Love, Let's Dance, you know, all the all the good stuff. Okay. Would you would you want to sing as well? Or you just want to play guitar? Hell yeah, I'd do back and vocals with Bowie. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever I mean, cover like, Bowie songs? Uh no, I don't like to cover Bowie songs because I feel like I can never do them justice. I've already been on stage with Buddy Guy and I've been on stage with Earl Slick and like those were those are some of the people that meant the most to me. So I, I, I really like I can't I can't say too much as far as people I want to be on stage with because I've been so, so lucky at this point in my life that I it's I just I'm just grateful for what's already happened. But that is a great question. And there's so many people I'd love to play with just to just to experience it. I always like to hear people come up with that, right? Because you get kind of carte blanche to my dogs like the story as well too. Ryan, it's been like 15 podcasts since one of our dogs barked and we the record is broken now. She was over here earlier. You shouldn't make any noise though. Actually, Gary Moore would be probably very exciting to play with, I'm sure. I mean, that's the thing is like playing with other guitar players that you look up to is always a dream come true. Bowie was just a great front person and songwriter, but like other guitar players, Gary Moore would be would be woof. That would be awesome. Also rest in peace. Absolutely. I think it was just the his birthday last week or something. I saw mm-hmm. a lot of posts yeah, so of he would have been however old he would have been. Still young enough to go out there and play though, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. Recommend a streaming series for us. A streaming series. Woof. I am I I am a I'm a freak. I like true crime a lot. Mm-hmm. Dateline is one of my nice. favorite shows. Keith Morrison is amazing. Um, there was this special on BBC, so you have like AMC Plus, and it was about um, this serial killer in the 80s uh, in London whose name I cannot remember. I think it was, but I know David Tennant played him. Okay. Um, David Tennant's in everything. He's good. David Tennant, that's true. He's in everything. Um, Dennis Nilsson. He played Dennis Nilsson in this series. I think it was just called uh, Dennis or whatever, but uh, it's just a little short, little short series, but his portrayal of what a, a psychopathic serial killer is, is chilling. So I recommend huh. that. There is a new series on Netflix and Will Arnett's doing it. It's a, like a crime Murderville? series. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm yep. talking about? I do so, know what you're talking about. So Brian, here, here's the setup. This is wonderful. There's a guest star each episode and why everybody else has a script they follow. The guest star does not have a script. It's all ad-libbed. So I can't wait to see it. I think it. I've seen, seen the previews for that. Yeah. I've seen a couple episodes. It's great. I, I'm a great? fan of Conan. So the fact that Conan was the first guest, I was like, oh man, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta check it out. What a great solid. original idea. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. It's kind of almost like a, like a, I mean, yeah, the film and improv skit basically. Right. There's been a lot of improv shows. This is like everybody else except for you. <laughs> I know what they're saying and doing. <laughs> You gotta play yeah, like Sharon Stone's a guest, I know, and like yeah. you know, a bunch and then of other who's people. The, who's the football player? Deshaun Deshaun Wilson uh, uh, or something? Deshaun uh, Watson. Yeah, yeah Deshaun, I think he, um Deshaun oh God, Watson. guy used to be the I think the running back for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh I used to go into beast mode. I know who you're talking about. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I think he's the best guest on there I've seen so far. He well, I mean, he's not job. an actor, so that'd be interesting to see how he <laughs> Marshawn Lynch, are you talking Marshawn, about? Marshawn, Marshawn Lynch. Lynch. Yes. There you go. Beast That's mode. It, it was nice, going to be like nice Shelby summer. and the Cobras. It was just going to pop into my head 30 minutes later <laughs> when we were done with the podcast. And I'm shooting right. Marshawn Lynch. No. Marshawn Lynch, yeah. That's great. You should definitely check it out. Will do. Uh, give us a guilty pleasure artist or song. Ooh, ooh. 
Guilty pleasure artist would have to be. Who do I listen to that I feel guilty about? I listen to a lot of things I feel guilty about. Um... <laughs> We're gonna. This could be another dip, different podcast one day. We just talk through psycho, psychological <laughs> issues. Introverts <laughs> acting as extroverts, bipolar. So yeah. what was it? What did you call that? Bipolar, like socially bipolar. That is a great term. God, I love that. I, I, yeah, listen, man, use it at use it at your will by all now means. Now that would be a great shirt to wear somewhere. Socially bipolar. It would be a great shirt to wear. That's a nice little free advertisement thing. Like, hey, just right? a heads up. This is what you're. This is what you're dealing I'm with. I'm either on or off. And just be ready. Um, guilty pleasure artist. Uh, shoot. Um, it used to be G Easy for a long time. I was like, what am I doing listening to a rapper? Um, I listen to some some pop sometimes. Actually, I got really into the Kid Leroy, who's not a guy, like a, you know his lyrics are the same for every song. He's always drinking. He's always fucked up over a girl. He's always suicidal. It's the same plot twenty seven hundred times. But but for some reason, I got really into it for a hot second. I also listened to uh, Russian Catholic death metal. Which nobody likes. <laughs> Russian um, Catholic I like death Norwegian, metal. I like Norwegian death metal. <laughs> Russian, yeah, Russian Orthodox. You know, like the Catholic chanting. Wow. Yeah, but it's it's like heavy black metal. I love that. Um, I don't know. If, well, I feel guilty about it because nobody else likes it. So it's just me enjoying it's myself. Definitely its own niche. <laughs> it's very niche. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's I think that's the best I've got for you. I, I have a couple of other things I listen to. Yeah, that's pretty like, good. Uh, I think we'll take the Russian Orthodox death metal for the win. Yeah, it's a good one. It's, it's, I that's, wish I could tell you the name, but it's in Russian. So I can't Brian and I have done 82, 83. Um, I think you might be 83 episodes. And that's the first time Russian Orthodox, Russian Catholic death metals come up. I will, <laughs> I will send you a link. It's fantastic. Please, do it. I'll <laughs> definitely check it out. I'm not putting it down. It's just a, never heard anybody say that before. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad to be a first. Uh, last question for you probably maybe be a little bit longer for you but give us a very give us a good story from the road or a show or something where something interesting weird funny scary happened oh, first thing oh that comes man. to your mind when i say that right um yeah i uh I've, I've had a lot of really weird shit happen um and if crimes are committed please say allegedly and don't use real names <laughs> i do not want okay. to be pulled into anything um yeah there was a guy who I mean, I've had a lot of I've had a lot of really weird shit happen just at my own shows. But the first thing that come the first time I've ever seen anything happen like this before was actually on a cruise ship, and um, this we were playing like like an Eagles song. You know, it was like you know, take it easy or something like that. And this guy just straight up punches his wife in the nose, just oh, decks her for no reason other than I guess they've been arguing or something. So her glass goes flying, shatters all over the floor. You know, her nose is bleeding. He runs off and then he hid on the cruise ship, just running around the different floors for like three hours. They couldn't find this dude. That was pretty bizarre. That was wow. that was a, a, a shocking thing to witness. Um, do you I, stop I, playing when that happens? Like, what the, what the hell do you do? We didn't know what to do. Yeah, it was okay, weird. Yeah. Well, Tuesday night, we saw somebody come out of a sewage drain carrying a blob of sewage. So that was pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Of a storm was it like the sewer plant worker or just no. like a random person? Oh, no. No, it was just a random homeless person that just crawled out of the storm drain at like 830 at night. And then carrying a handful of sewage stuff and then turned around, closed the storm drain and walked off. So that was, I mean, that was just a couple of days ago. I can't explain that any further than that. I, I, 
I'm at a loss for words. Doesn't happen <laughs> a lot, but here we are. So was I, but lo and behold, I, there's no, I can't provide any further context. That's, you have as much information as I do. That's just what we saw. It was weird. <laughs> so watch out for sewage watch dwellers out for sewage in people. Nashville. Correct. Yeah. You've heard of Bachelorette parties and sewage dwellers. Stay away. Now we've got sewage dwellers. Correct. Yeah. Who knows what's down there? Well, Leilani, where do our listeners go to find out more about your music, your tours, your merch, all about you? Where do we direct them? Uh, My website's a really good bet. I I keep my Instagram pretty updated. I am going to be posting some uh, some tour dates, actually, in the next few days here. Um, And then just keeping it updated as they come in. So they'll be on my website for sure, on my calendar. There's also live footage, music videos, streaming. And the Instagram has all that links in the profile as well. So... So LeilaniKilgore.com. Yes. And we we are pronouncing your name right. I should have asked you before are. we recorded. Yeah. Great. All right. No, I would have I would have stopped you long ago. Don't worry. Okay. Well, you know, I've got a weird <laughs> last name and I get sensitive, you know, for other people. And Brian likes to make me do the announce the guest because I usually butcher a name and it's all in good fun. So <laughs> LeilaniKilgore.com. Or is it is it Johan is Johannes? Jo- it's Johannes. So the G Johannes. is not, there's I don't know why there's a G in the last name. Johan- you can see, even say Johannes, even even get rid of the T or Johantis. Either way, it's right, but just don't pronounce the G. Got it. That's that's a unique one. It it totally is, totally is, and we can't explain it. Uh, so <laughs> LeilaniKilgore.com, Follow you on Instagram. Uh, subscribe to your YouTube page, Facebook, Twitter. I know you're on TikTok. Uh, yes, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just what you have to do to survive these. We're things. not on TikTok yet. <laughs> That's, listen, hold out. As long as you can. As long as you can. It'll 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 it's like an air raid. It'll pass over eventually. <laughs> well, we were excited to hear those new tracks we're gonna start recording and coming out. I can't Check out wait your for tour you to dates. Them. Come back, I talk to us when you get that album, whenever else you have anything to promote. We would love to have you on, right, Brian? I would be honored. For sure, absolutely. Do I get to ask the lightning questions next time? Is sure. That- sure. That's a deal. I mean, yeah, That's a absolutely. Deal. Bring them on, man. We're glad to answer whatever you got. That would be fantastic. All right. So yeah, bef- thank you guys so much. Yeah. Before we say bye, a uh, couple of things. What on the guitar behind you, what's the drawing on the Oh, it's so cool. This one right here? Yeah. It's a pinup. This is a really old Gibson. I think it's from the 40s. Would, like Arch top of death holes there going on. Yeah, so that's the. Uh, Is that a one forty five, two forty five? What do we got here? I wish I knew. It's not mine, so I'm not sure. Um, but it is pretty. Or one seventy five? Is that right? One seventy five? I don't remember. That's person old. asked me the person that owns it, but uh, no, it's pretty neat. It's just it's it's honestly just been decoration for ages at this point. But the drawing is fantastic. You're right. Yeah, cool. It is like a cowgirl with a half shirt yeah, it's on. A cowgirl for, for our people who are listening and are like, what are they looking at? What are they talking Can't about? See it. Yeah. Um that's that's very, very Nashville, which is why it's here. Yeah. I'm I'm not great with arch tops, I'll be honest with you. Not my area of expertise. Me either. Not, not at all. I'm not a jazz guitar player or jazz guitar owner. No. And also I have to compliment you because very brave to get you've kind of shed a little bit of light on some mental health issues and that tends to be taboo with people. So it's uh, I just want to compliment you for being brave about oh, that. So yeah, well, it's important to you know it it is a, a big part of of my 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 personality mm-hmm. you know because it is a, an ongoing a yeah. constant ongoing you know thing to deal with and it's a, I, I don't think there's anything to be ashamed about that. I'm actually quite proud of still being here and doing mm-hmm. what I'm doing. So 
I have yeah. no problem talking about it. Yeah, no, it's, I appreciate that. I got generalized anxiety and depression, so I just appreciate you saying that. So, but anyway, yeah, of course. thank you to Leilani Kilgore for being on the podcast and being on our guest. Uh, the songs I'm going to leave you, Triple X Moonshine. She's got some new uh, songs coming up for us, and we can't wait to hear mm-hmm, those. I do. And, and tour dates and everything. So, thank you so much for being on, Leilani. Thank you, Brian, and thank you, Jason, for having me. I, I, honestly, this was such a blast. It's an easy conversation. We're great. What can I say? Thanks to Leilani Kilgore for talking to us uh, here on the podcast. What a great guest. Uh, and uh, I was about to tell you at the beginning, and you got to say, you know, one of the most impressive things is she's uh, got to share the stage with, with Buddy Guy. Buddy Guy. Yeah, she's played at Buddy Guy's place in Chicago and likes her, and she's shared the stage with him a couple times. So she's got some chops, man. If, if he's going to have you come up and play a little bit, you got chops, and she definitely has them. You know, and uh, – you know, she's playing some of the bigger places or more well-known places in, in Nashville. So that's a feather, feather in her cap, you know, playing some of the same places as Jack's. So that's so awesome for her. And just, uh, she was just great to talk to, great conversation. A lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, good story. We talked a lot of stuff. Hey, we coined the phrase socially bipolar, which I'm stealing right. trademarking for myself because <laughs> right. that is me. Uh, but no, really, I mean, just, just, re- I was a really good, easy conversation with her. And we sort of learned how she got her start out, out there on the West coast and Washington, California, made her way to Boston uh, to study the Berkeley school of music who, you know, who Jack's also studied mm-hmm. at and found her way to Nashville and she's doing her own material. She's playing with the, the punk band, the creeps and all, she's just all over the place. Yeah. And that's, I, I really liked what she said about Nashville that, you know, it's cool to be in Boston and everything, but just Nashville is, it's just the place. The music scene, you know, and she's got a lot of respect out there. And like, I, I, man, she's, she is a good player. That, that she is. So uh, having said that, we're going to let y'all go. So always remember Southern Rock is Revit, Blues is Blood. We'll see you next time.
them in. I wanna drink your wine, I wanna sip your gin. Draw your name all across my skin. Save your prayers, cause I don't mind sin. Can you tell what kind of villain I 